It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. House Budget Week, part two, or week two of House Budget Week. The subcommittees rolled out last Thursday morning. And then on Monday evening, we saw the entire House budget after the speaker's press conference about the budget. So we saw the whole thing spent Tuesday in appropriations and the House voted on Wednesday and Thursday on the floor for their budget. Whew. It has been an adventure. Contrast that to the Senate budget where it was like the Senate budget rolled out on a Monday by Thursday. Done. Yeah. I mean, I'm having a hard time thinking about this as you're laying out the House Budget Week. Last Thursday feels like a month ago. It has been a very long week. A roller coaster as predicted. Subcommittees. Amendments trying to fix things confusion confusion what a week it has paid off it has been a great budget week but like any roller coaster it's scary when you're doing the loops and the big dips some nauseous moments (laughs) scary moments but it is over the house came in this morning at 11 didn't really get started until one o'clock. They concluded a third reading vote that had lots of debate. It was pretty wild because I think we went into yesterday, Wednesday, thinking the House generally does a ton of amendments on the floor mm-hmm. in debate, and they like to go right up into that midnight hour, take a little break for dinner, people have a drink, get a little loose, come back debate and everybody kind of claps at the end and is friends again that is not what happened yesterday not at all for one right out of the gate they start presenting the budget but then we start hearing amendments are coming to the floor earlier than expected that's right the amendments started i think it was like 3 three thirty ish and we didn't expect amendments to start until like five probably Again, this is our own timeline. Mm -hmm. And so the house finished up last night. It was like 7.30 or 8. And so they came back today. But last night, we still heard a good 15 to 20 people debate the budget. And the debate has always been robust between the two parties, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, about the priorities and the spending plans. And usually you get three or four maybe five debaters who are really making those pointed criticisms of the spending plan. Last night was a little different. We had some moments where the emotions got high, the volume got high. That's right. We had members walk off the floor. We were off the house floor. We hang out there because there's some great audio right off the house floor. So you see a lot of lobbyists hanging out on budget night and Some members came off and said, I will listen to any debate, but I just don't want to be yelled at. And it was noticeably loud inside the chamber. I think you have heard the phrase many times before, everything has been said, but not everyone has said it yet. 
And that is definitely the motto of the North Carolina House. There were moments where you heard legislators outside of the chamber say, why doesn't the speaker call the question or have someone call the question? And there was a point in the evening where the speaker specifically said, I am not going to call the question. If you would like to speak on the bill, you may speak. That is your right. We will stay here until everyone is done talking. And they did stay until everyone was done talking. And then they did it again today. (laughs) They did it again today. And calling the question is a parliamentary procedure in which you have a vote to cut off debate. We had an incident where the speaker spoke from the chair in which he admonished the General Assembly. Yes, he spoke about some Democratic members who, I guess, took photos of empty chairs during debate, saying it was below the House. Yeah, it was It was a low point, I believe. And in fairness, Democrats, uh, Representative Greer-Martin, did ask for the Speaker uh, to... Uh, have one of the Republican budget presenters to not question the motives of his side of the aisle was very tense. I have a theory that because we are also starting the redistricting process, those meetings started last week, we had some this week, I think it's caused a little bit of tension on the Democratic side. Just a theory out there. I was surprised at some of the anger I heard last night on the House floor. But in the end, There were nine Democrats that voted for the House budget, both last night and today. So I think the final vote was 72-41 both times. Mm -hmm. There were some members missing. There are some folks that are sick this week, but there were nine Dems who voted for that House budget. And looking into next week, they are going to start as the speaker said, informally meeting with the Senate before they appoint conferees to negotiate the final budget. So the formality will be that this House budget will get engrossed today. It goes over to the Senate. The Senate will make a formal vote to reject the PCS for Senate Bill 105, which is the budget. They will reject it, and that will automatically trigger a conference committee. From there, Senator Berger will appoint his conferees, which are budget negotiators. Speaker Tim Moore will appoint his conferees. Those will be the House budget negotiators. And they will go behind closed doors into room 612 at the Legislative Office building, and they will begin formal negotiations about a final spending plan But it is true. We are already seeing, even in the hallway, on the bridge, we are seeing conversations happen informally between the House budget writers and the Senate budget writers. They are hoping to get this wrapped up by Labor Day. But we heard something today on the House floor that Labor Day is no longer really that deadline for a final budget. So today is August 12th. And Representative Donnie Lambeth, one of the appropriations chairs on the House side, said we will be here in September debating the budget. So if you thought they were going to be home at the end of August, which is one of the many timelines we have heard in the past several months, that is no longer a reality. Turning the page on the budget, the House and Senate last week had talked about how they were going to hear some of the other chamber's priorities 
And then the Senate went home without hearing the House's. And the Speaker had made some comments on the House floor last week that they would hear the Senate's priorities once the House's priorities were heard in the Senate. Now, a couple of those bills were bills where the primary sponsor was Speaker Moore. So a couple of those bills were heard over on the Senate side this week. Yeah, he has legislation pending in the Senate. I believe it's due for a floor vote around addressing, it's called the riot bill at the General Assembly, and it's dealing with tougher punishments over those that are rioting and I believe assault on a public safety officer. It got a lot of debate in committee and a lot of questions specifically from Democrats who charged that this was stifling free speech, that we were trying to quash protest. That's right. And a lot of the pointed questions from Democrats in the Senate Judiciary Committee were around the ability for property owners to sue protesters and private lawsuits for trouble damages, which means three times the damages that it caused to your property. So there were some questions around that. And that was really where the debate was centered. And he cited an example that was right here in our office community. Uh, We have a store that is just five doors down called the DGX. It was... It's the best store in downtown Raleigh. It really is the best store. But it was taken out of business for at least six months. And it is a place not only where we go and and shop for the office, but it's also around this community. There are some residential areas and they are low income when you get down past into the southeastern Raleigh area where people shop and those folks were left without a place to shop. In fact, you and I Uh, were involved in a food drive for some of those residents. Politics certainly got entered into the debate. I think everyone agrees that firefighters should not be pummeled with ice water bottles and that we shouldn't be ransacking private businesses. But there's also this concern about free speech and people's right to go to the streets and protest. Another bill that we have been following and talked about extensively on the podcast is Senate Bill 35, which would raise the age of child marriage from 14 to 16. That passed the House yesterday unanimously. It does have to go back to the Senate for concurrence, and then that will head to the governor's desk. So that was a pretty exciting nugget this week, something that happened that I think flew a little bit under the radar just because it was budget week. But that was one of the Senate priorities that the House held on to for a little longer than expected. Did they make significant changes to the bill? No. Okay, so if you want to learn more about the child marriage bill, we, we did a podcast interview with Senator Vicki Sawyer, who is the primary sponsor over on the Senate side. And at that time, it had passed the Senate, and she was waiting for it to move in the House. But this is a major piece of legislation, one of the many pieces of bills specifically coming out of the Senate that we were watching And you're right, with the budget, the way it was just going through and all of the debate and the amendments and the prolonged week, or at least it felt like a prolonged week, it did fly under the radar. Another bill that I guess might also be said to have flown under the radar that was 
also heard in Senate Judiciary this week would be the repeal of the pistol purchase permit system in North Carolina. In past years, the Sheriff's Association has really stopped that bill from moving forward. And this year, the Sheriff's Association decided that they would support the bill. And because of the sheriffs supporting it, it has moved forward. It passed the House and now is over in the Senate, passed judiciary. And I expect that that'll be something that if it hits Governor Cooper's desk, it is looking right at a veto. Yeah, it was interesting from a lobbyist perspective to see the Sheriff's Association go from opposing it to neutral this session to supporting it. It certainly helped the bill sponsor, Representative Jay Adams, who claims that the pistol permit system is a relic of Jim Crow laws in which we were keeping black gun owners from owning a pistol. Modern day problems seem to be that some sheriffs are delayed in getting permits processed. That was something we heard a lot about during the pandemic. Yes. Here in Raleigh, there was a delay. I believe the sheriff here said that he was going to delay processing permits. It became a political battle at the local level and then seeped up to the General Assembly. There's also the argument that this modern day background check is a more systematic way of seeing if someone qualifies for a gun or not. But certainly, this is a political battle, a wedge issue, a social issue that is going to have the governor weighing in. He has tended to want to keep fewer guns from getting into the hands of those who don't qualify. I think he sees this as a safety valve. We'll see how this plays out, if it plays out. As I believe you covered a little bit earlier, redistricting your theory that redistricting was seeping into the budget process. The redistricting process has begun and they developed the redistricting committee, which is joint between the House and the Senate, developed their criteria for drawing maps this week. There was an amendment process. They heard some public debate and then developed that criteria. I believe they accepted one Democratic amendment and one Republican amendment for a total of Two amendments, and they will be moving forward with that process next Wednesday. We haven't been involved. We're not in that room, but you we won't do know that it's it. happening. <laughs> you will not see us in that room. We are staying away from redistricting. I don't want to be in there anywhere to do with it. Yeah, I, I, I want nothing to do with redistricting. We don't have a client that's interested in it. It is always a messy process. It does not cre- my problem. Not my problem. It does create a lot of tension. And it's unfortunate because, you know, I know a lot of a lot of races are very tight. There are about 20 races in North Carolina that can be changed with a few precincts. And it's it's, it's a messy process. I will say that when I was in law school, I took North Carolina constitutional law, and we had a day where all we did was draw districts. And I learned then, and that I know now, it's really not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> this week, we had the pleasure of sitting down with Senator Paul Newton. 
The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Paul Newton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Scott. First, could you just tell us a little bit about your district? Where is it? What makes it special? I'm happy to, proud to. Um, Cabarrus County is the majority of my district. I do have a little bit of Union County, but uh, Cabarrus County is a growing, great place to live. So we just had several large economic development um, announcements the last couple of weeks so we're creating jobs we're creating opportunity and i've always believed that the way you move someone from low income to middle income is through uh, opportunity uh, for prosperity and, and we're doing that in Capiers county and city of concord in particular has been listed as one of the best places to live in north carolina and if you've ever been through the city of Kannapolis, you might think of the old cannon mills. Mm -hmm. It has dramatically changed. We have a minor league ballpark. We have apartments. We have condos. We have actually a nightlife oh, wow. there in Cabarrus County in Kannapolis. So the mayor there has done a great job. And I was just really proud of Cabarrus County. It's a great place to be, and it's growing rapidly. Prior to getting into politics, you were in the private sector. Can you kind of Talk about that, your life prior to entering the General Assembly. Happy to. So I uh, went to North Carolina, UNC, undergrad in law school, went to New Mexico for five years, lived in Roswell, New Mexico, and I promise you we had more visitors yeah. coming to Roswell to check that place out. Than the UFOs, right? The UFOs, <laughs> Area 51. Okay. Um, but it didn't affect me. They didn't inhabit my body. So I came back to North Carolina to go to work for then Duke Power Company under Bill Lee. And I spent 25 years at Duke, mostly on the legal side, but moved to the business side in 2008 and ultimately retired after 25 years at Duke as the state president for Duke here in North Carolina. What made you jump into the North Carolina Senate and decide to run? Well, I had retired from Duke in 2015 okay. and enjoyed three glorious months of actual retirement. And then my predecessor, who was actually the longest serving state senator at that time, Fletcher mm -hmm. Hartzell, decided sort of 11th hour that he was not going to run. And so somebody decided a full court press on Paul Newton would be a good idea. <laughs> um, it really illustrates the power of the personal ask. I would not have done this but for some people that I respected greatly, including Senator Phil Berger, uh, calling me and asking me if I would consider doing this. They thought I might be pretty good at it. You have four children. I do. And a farm. How do you balance your home life with being in Raleigh so much? That's a great question. Now, my kids are grown and gone, mm -hmm. um, all four of them. Um, are they all in North Carolina? No, no. Two are in North Carolina. One's in uh, Midtown Manhattan and one's in, uh, in Virginia Beach. Uh, the thing, the, those that are most sad when I leave, other than my wife, are my dogs. I yeah. have a couple of dogs that just are my best friends. And as I'm 
working the farm during the day. They are there by my side, and it's only been once in my memory that they've given up before I did. So uh, we have a great time together. Tell us a little bit about this farm. I understand you run a wedding venue, and it's been described to us that you're a gentleman farmer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the farm was a goal for many, many years. My wife and I looked for acreage. We I think God designs certain people that feel more alive when they're out on acreage. And uh, so this is something I'd been looking for and actually found it on the internet, the first parcel, and uh, bought it from a local developer, regional developer named William Niblock, who uh, went from building 350 homes to 50 just overnight because of the recession. And so he, he was willing to part with this property. It is a beautiful. It is a beautiful parcel of property. Two of my daughters were married there, okay. and the vendors that came for those weddings said, "Hey, you know, if you've ever thought about turning this into the, a wedding venue, it'll be very successful." Um, long story short, we've done that. Uh, it is successful, and you know, brides just love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a, a really, I think, unique parcel of property and and brides and their moms that's who you've got to sell and Mm -hmm. and they do love it does your wife participate in the preparation of the wedding venue there my wife does everything soup to nuts i get my work done just as the sun is rising um, and i work all morning then i turn it over to my wife and their and her staff and we have some very well-trained staff they're Mm -hmm. excellent with people and we really hit a milestone last week, and we hired our first ever venue manager. Right. So we're hopeful that that will take a little, little of the burden off my wife. So on the weekends when you go home, is there usually a, an event at your property? Well, we had three this weekend. Wow, three. So it could be as many as three in a single weekend. We, we do get breaks during the summer because that's the hottest part of the year, mm-hmm. but we did add heating and cooling into the barn. So we're getting more and more weddings sort of year round. So when you were described to us as a gentleman farmer, what does that mean? Uh, it means that every morning that I'm home, I fix a cup of coffee, a mug of coffee. I get the dogs out of the house. I get in a Honda uh, side by side and we ride over to the property. The dogs just run through the fields. I sip up my coffee and just enjoy what I consider to be a pure joy. Okay. They are the happiest uh, beings you can ever imagine when they're out there running the fields. One's a German short-haired pointer, the other's a Brittany. And um, you know, that, to me, is just real true solace. Um, we, all, we do have a farmer that's a cattle farmer nearby okay. who... Uh, who who hays our fields and and does plant some crops. I'm not a literal farmer, but it is farm land. And I explained to people, uh, one of the paradoxes of land is that when you live in a subdivision, people charge you an arm and a leg to mow your grass. If you own 80 acres of grass, they fall all over themselves to do it for free. It's a natural fit for you to work on energy bills. But you've also taken a leadership role with elections bills, and it's been described to us, and I'm sure to everyone, that you are a very hard worker. How do you decide what sort of legislation you're going to take on? What's your philosophy as far as your workload? I am here to serve. Mm-hmm. I'm serving folks in Cabarrus and Union Counties, but I also uh, feel the obligation is statewide. Mm-hmm. And uh, the wor- what you find if you're sort of trying to do the very best with whatever scope of responsibility you've got, typically people tap you on the shoulder and ask you to get 
involved in something more, something mm -hmm. else. So it's sort of taking care of itself. I'm not smart enough to necessarily anticipate uh, you know, the course forward for the future. Mm -hmm. And you know, you could argue others are doing that for me, but I'm here, as long as I'm here, I'm gonna give it my very best and I'm going to participate in anything that I think I can add value to. And, mm -hmm. and my perspective on legislating and legislation is that we should be solving problems. I mean, I can sit here now and I can see a problem that's gonna occur 15 years from now why wait for the crisis? Let's try to solve it before it becomes a crisis. We are in the budget process now. The House drops their budget this week. The Senate dropped theirs a couple weeks back. We're going into the conference report. You are a finance chair over on the Senate side. I think most listeners are very aware of what an appropriations chair does. Can you give listeners kind of an overview of what your role is in crafting this $26 billion budget? Sure. So a big piece, a part of the overall budget is the finance portion. Mm -hmm. And this biennium, I have been sort of doing battle on behalf of uh, taxpayers. Mm -hmm. We have more revenue than we know what to do with, frankly, mm -hmm. in North Carolina. Why has that happened? That's happened because we've attracted job creators to North Carolina. We've never had to raise our tax rates, but more revenue is coming in because we have more rooftops. We have more uh, taxpayers. Uh, we now have had six of the last seven years, excess revenues, meaning bringing in more money than we need to run government. At some point, you've got to say enough is enough. Let's let the taxpayers keep their own money. And the important point in that that you know, I don't think people focus on enough is that there's nothing more stimulative to our economy than allowing a taxpayer to keep the dollar in the first place. And what I mean by that is the federal stimulus dollars that we're receiving, some are receiving at the back end of today's process. Oh, well, yay, I got a check from the federal government. You got to forget it probably took three, four, five, six dollars to produce that one dollar that's coming back to that taxpayer. So let's, uh, let's eliminate that the middleman, a big leviathan of a little man called big government. And let's just let taxpayers keep their money. What's your transition like been from the private sector into the machinations of the General Assembly, which is slow by all accounts and tedious? Well, um, slow from a third party perspective, wondering how, why does it take so long to create a budget? Um, I will tell you since January, I, I've, we've been in white water almost every week. In other words, from what, from our perspective, uh, we are working wide open. Mm -hmm. So today we're dealing with redistricting. We're also mm -hmm. dealing with energy. We're also, we also have the budget. So those of us who have responsibilities for those outcomes are working like crazy in ways that you know, the public really doesn't see. So it does take a long time. You know, politics muddles the water. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. people, you wonder why people do illogical things. It can often be explained by their political position. Your policy aide told me last week we were talking about the podcast and having you on, and he said that around your office, you like to say good policy makes for good politics. What does that mean? That means we ought to do what we honestly believe is in the best interest of North Carolinians, regardless of the political outcome. Uh, the energy bill is a good example. Mm -hmm. I mean, the energy bill came over from the House. They did the best they could. They worked hard on it, but it was a give-to-get sort of a situation between a limited number of stakeholders. We intend to sort of come up to 10,000 feet and say, that, great effort, guys, but we're going to start over 
from the perspective of what is really in the best interest of North Carolinians. And then let the politics fall where they may and the stakeholders' wants and needs fall where they may. Um, but I just, I, you know, and if, if, if taking that perspective costs me a political victory down the road, I will uh, at least hold my head high okay. and know that I honestly, with everything in me, tried to do what was in the best interest of North Carolina. And if that costs me an election, so be it. Give us the, the Senator Paul Newton brand of politics. How would you describe yourself or how do you describe yourself to voters back home when you are telling them who you are? I am a problem solver. Okay. I am here to solve problems. I'm not here for political advantage. I'm not here for gamesmanship. Yeah. I don't want the limelight. I don't necessarily, I mean, I love sitting here with you all. Yeah. Andre forced me to be here. <laughs> I, I, you know. Thanks, Andre. Andre's <laughs> here listening as we do this. Yeah, that's my policy advisor, Andre Beliveau, and a great guy who, who brings a lot of laughter yeah. to our to our office. And, uh, you know, a good culture has a lot of laughter. And Andre mm -hmm. is just the ticket there. And I don't care whether it's a Democrat issue, a Republican issue. I could care less. Uh, I couldn't care less. I want to solve whatever the problem is, whether it's immediate or whether it's long term politics seems to just creep into everything. The energy bill, very political right now, it seems, and redistricting's coming up. The budget, you've got to deal with the governor, you've got to deal with the House. How do you reconcile your problem-solving kind of way of doing things with all the politics that just comes at you every day? Yeah, It is part of it. So when you mm -hmm. sign up to try to solve problems in this environment, the politics are are going to be there. Some of them are on the sort of the minor end of the scale and we can work through those. Um, if it's too draconian, then you, know, you have the other party voting for bills that make perfect sense and you cannot understand why they wouldn't vote for them. I don't want to slam Democrats here. I might be frustrated with that, but that is part of our environment. We talked to one of your colleagues, Senator Jim Perry, this morning, and he says that he has one gripe with you and he just can't let it go. And that is your insistence on using an Android phone when you are a part of, I presume, a chat group of senators, and they say it just messes up everything. They can't send you PDFs. They're not sure if all the messages go through. Do you have a rebuttal for Senator Perry? Uh, I do. <laughs> two, two responses to that. Number one, my son works for Google. Okay. <laughs> so we could do, do full stop there. The second is you can always kick the Android user out of the chat group, which is exactly what those folks did. <laughs> <laughs> so as a problem solver, I'll bring a problem to you. Our politics are increasingly more partisan. If you had a magic wand, you could fix one thing in our politics to make it less partisan or better, what would that one thing be? That's a great question. And the answer to me is, is very straightforward. Sadly, politics have become a form of religion for people. Mm -hmm. um, we've gotten away from Christianity. We've gotten away from other major religions. And, um, you know, people forget that Christianity is about forgiveness. Um, it's about, you know, loving one another, caring for one another. 
Instead, they've gone off into a very hyper-partisan political mode because they don't have that perspective. They don't have that grounding from their childhood. And so that has sort of spun the narratives. It's spun uh, people's focus really away from the things that truly matter, which uh, are bigger and better goals than a political goal. Well, Senator Paul Newton, we appreciate you being on the podcast. We appreciate everything you do for your district, everything you do for North Carolina. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you, sir. You are more than welcome. Great to be with you today. Earlier in the session, we had the pleasure of working with Senator Newton, and we really saw this problem-solving way of legislating in action up close, working closely with him and his office. That's right. We had an issue that needed to be worked out and it had some finance provisions. So we worked with his staff and him and solved the problem. Just kind of like how he talked about, that's really what he focuses on. I also found it very interesting that their farm is a wedding venue. That is an interesting side about him. Working with him on this legislation that helped a lot of convention and visitors bureaus throughout the state, you you see him as policy. Our conversations with him were all about policy, and then he, he moves on. But to see this side of him in which he is out on a tractor, he's on his farm, he's working this wedding venue, coming from the corporate sector out there, president of Duke Energy. It, it really was interesting to see, hear this part of him. So like we said before, next week they're going to start that conferee process, start those informal negotiations. We're looking to some more redistricting committees What else do we expect to come up next week? You know, some things that Senator Berger said we would have seen by now, critical race theory, that hasn't popped up since two weeks ago. It seems like the Athletic Association has gone on ice. Medicinal marijuana, haven't heard about that recently. Is that more about all of the staff, fiscal staff, bill drafting, all going over to the House side and really just putting all of their energy into this House budget and getting it through because it is a shared staff? Or have those things kind of hit the skids? It'll be interesting to watch. And some of those bills that we discussed today, including the rioting bill, PPP repeal, those things have not hit the floor yet over Mm -hmm. in the Senate. So those are big ticket items that will require some debate. I know we're looking way down the line here. We have clients asking us this question. It is a part of the conversations we have with lobbyists at the General Assembly when we're talking to legislators. And that is, are we headed to a veto showdown with Governor Cooper, there seems to be a lot of optimism right now about there being a budget that he can sign. The House showed some restraint in not including some of the executive power 
provisions that they had entertained in prior legislation. They kept that out of this budget. Are you having a sense of optimism here? I think we have to have a sense of optimism if you want to believe in government, if you want to believe in working together. So as of right now, we as lobbyists want to choose optimism. Whether or not that's realistic may be a different conversation. Based on Governor Cooper's comments on both the Senate and the House budget, I think he said this week, the House budget is better than the Senate budget. That doesn't make it good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's concerning. Mm-hmm. And I think the vitriol you heard from the Democrats on the House side really made it seem like they're not going to come around. But if the governor does participate in those negotiation processes, will those folks vote with the governor? Probably, yeah. Yeah. So I think we could get there. But as of right now, coming right off of the floor today, hearing the debate, it's hard to be incredibly optimistic. It is. It is. I did take a little optimism from Speaker Moore last night. He he went to seat 120, which is his assigned seat. He he gave the chair to Representative Destin Hall to preside, and he renewed his vow to include Governor Cooper in budget negotiations. I think that is key to getting us to a final budget. I think continuing to show restraint in putting some of the policies that target executive power. Fingers crossed. For our Tweet of the Week this week, there was quite a discussion on Twitter about the $8 million that the House budget appropriated for a covered walkway between the legislative building and the legislative office building. If you're not there all the time, you do have to go outside to walk between the two buildings. Unless you're a member or staff, you could walk under the buildings there is where the bridge is. It is covered. But for lowly lobbyists and also most staff and members do just take the uncovered walkway bridge between the two buildings. That was taken out of the budget. So it was an $8 million appropriation to create this canopy? Yes. Okay. I should tell you that I heard that there was some funny discussion saying that lobbyists could put up um, inside that covered walkway like new frame and then like ads for our clients mm-hmm. and like it could be you know a walkway full of advertisements which would be hilarious but it was removed from the house budget I don't know where that was reappropriated to but Travis Fain tweeted I understand this was removed from the budget today in the house walkway we hardly knew you <laughs> <laughs> yeah Well, Travis is one of those that has to walk across the bridge, and it's never really a problem until it rains, and you are walking from the main legislative building to the legislative office building, and as sure as you don't have an umbrella, that is when it pours, and you just get over to one building or the other, and you are drenched. I am all in support of a covered walkway. Looking at you, North Carolina Professional Lobbyist Association, of which we are proud members, that is something that we need to be advocating for. 
I agree. I was I was excited to see this because, and it can be hot even when it's not raining. Mm-hmm. I mean, days like today, it's hot just going out bet- back and forth between the two buildings. If you're running between offices on a busy day, it can be it can be rough. And it's not just for lobbyists and reporters. We really need to look out for all of the guests we have at the General Assembly who come down to exercise their First Amendment rights. Yeah, you need a covered walkway. You don't need to be rained on. You don't want that sun beating down on you. So Wow, the passion. For the people. For the people, he says. We hope in the conference committee we can get this provision put in and give the North Carolina citizens exactly what they deserve, shelter from the rain and sun. Wow. Are you lobbying for it? what awning industry (laughs) no lobbying for the people (laughs) a true public servant yes pro bono i'm doing it here wow how does it feel to be 50 years old it feels really stressful because i turned 50 right in the middle of the whole house budget process i'm hoping that it you know smooths out over the next few weeks as you know, the budget starts to take shape. But I, I really did have a great birthday. My wife, with the assistance of you, had a wonderful surprise party that was thrown for me Sunday night. I was completely caught off guard by it. I was told that we were getting in the car and meeting the kids at Red Bowl, and we were going to have a traditional birthday dinner because that's where the kids used to love to go when they were kids let's go to Red Bull so we were heading up to Red Bull but we needed to stop by our neighborhood pool and check on some things over there I'm on the HOA and Julie said listen humble brag I'm the HOA president no one ever brags about being HOA president so I go in to check on the pool which was a glorified HOA party (laughs) (laughs) that's true It really was. And I walk in and I see friends and family and Sky puts up this wonderful video that was created. And we had some colleagues at the General Assembly who sent video messages, some staff members and some legislators. It was really, really a great time. And it was very humbling. And uh, I appreciated you doing that with Julie. And it was just a great time. And then, of course, you know, after Sunday, we were just knee deep into budget stuff on Monday. I will tell you that on my flight on Sunday, in order to finish the video, because I got some late submissions, I had to buy the $6 Wi-Fi on oh, the plane. No. So that's pretty much exactly where I value your friendship. Yeah. Well, put it on your expense report. <laughs> We'll process that. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun. But I'm willing to do it for you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, 50's been great. That is it for this roller coaster week. We hope you take the time to rate, review, subscribe, share this podcast on your social media, help friends find this podcast. Or enemies. Or enemies, yeah. We hope that you have a relaxing weekend this weekend, a great week next week. And remember, 
to do politics better. This week, we had the pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) You can totally have a lack of sleep right now. Hey, don't look at me. All right, I'm not looking.